Hello, and welcome to Reincarnation Past Life Revisited, where we will cover one of the many reported cases of reincarnation so we can bring the discussion out into the light about what happens to our souls after death. But before we go too much further, I'd like to thank Alexius Arptos for his amazing sound engineering and editing work, and Raphael Crooks for allowing us to use his music from the freepd.com public domain music site. I'd also like to apologise for the sound of this episode. I wasn't very well at the time we recorded, and you can hear that in my voice, but I think I had the mic too close as well, so the sound is quite muddy from my side of the interview. My apologies, I have done some work on that, and I think I've solved the worst of it in later episodes. Today we welcome Simon Bowen to the podcast, and Simon is pretty much my podcasting hero. When I first started out, I went looking for reincarnation podcasts, and Simon's was pretty much the only podcast to come up. He very quickly had me diving down the rabbit hole as I devoured his episodes on just about every subject you could name with regard to survival theory, which is what we call all of the supernatural and paranormal events that seem to indicate life after death. He has done some truly remarkable episodes over the years, and his knowledge and experience in this field is extensive. So let's join Simon now to ponder some of life's most interesting questions. Today I'd like to welcome Simon Bowen to the podcast and Simon has his own podcast called the Past Lives Podcast and it's an absolutely brilliant podcast for anyone who is interested in anything paranormal. So Simon, thank you so much for coming to the podcast today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Oh, that's lovely. I'm really excited to have you because, I, I, as we mentioned when we touched base, you were the first person I found who had any uh, episodes about reincarnation or you've got some incredible stuff, the past lives, but also near-death experiences and things people have experienced on deathbeds and, and just anything that's paranormal is pretty much to be found on your podcast, which is incredible. What made you actually start a podcast? Um, well, I've been listening to podcasts for years, and I'm also bass player, and I've been using recording software for years. And I'm just, uh, I suppose, creative juices are always in me because I've written science fiction. I published a novel and some short stories, and I played bass in a band, which I've done for 40 years. And I was listening to podcasts, and I find it so interesting. And I started thinking, hey, I could probably do this. I'm going to see if I can do it. Just not... Uh, like hugely confident about it but i had been using recording software at home for years to record music and recording just a voice talking is easy compared to doing a whole band and i've had these uh experiences throughout my life whether it's ufo sightings or being taken through past life regressions and having psychic flashes and just all sorts of things and so there was also this uh thing where there's so much information if you know the right books and the right people to talk to. And this information is amazing and can be life-changing and it's just not out there. So I thought maybe I can do my little bit and try and get this information out to people. And so it's been a real education for me now after doing so many episodes, talking to so many people. It's just been fantastic and I never get bored of it. I don't either. It's amazing how many cases and how much is out there now. I think maybe people are starting to become more aware of it. But um, actually, I was interested too in talking to you because you mentioned that you've had quite a few things that happened to you in your life. What was the first time you had something that happened that you kind of thought, wow, that was really unusual? 
I, I remember being a really small child and a couple of things happening, um, but they might have just been imagination or something. And so it's it's been this fascination that I've had, first of all, getting books out of the library when I was 10 years old about Bigfoot and ghosts and UFOs and things. And I started going to the College of Psychic Studies in the late 1980s. And I wasn't a pupil there, but you could pay money to sit with the pupils because they taught mediumship and psychics and channeling and past life regression. And you could pay a little bit of money and sit with a pupil or pay a lot of money and sit with one of the teachers. And so I did that almost every couple of weeks. I'd be there sitting with somebody kind of investigating it all because I'm not religious and I wasn't brought up in a religious household and everybody in my neighborhood, all the kids I knew growing up, nobody was religious. There was never any talk of anything like that. But so it was more a kind of looking for evidence rather than it being a religious thing. And so in about 1987, I did my first past life regression and I was taken to these past lives and it was so interesting. And I started uh, doing that every few years. So it wasn't like every couple of weeks or something. And there's this feeling that you get or that I was getting that it's it's almost it will build up. And it was like, now's the right time to do the next past life regression. And nowadays, I wonder if that's spirit guides giving you a nudge and they, they want you to do it. They've got something to show you. So the first one, I even had small physical feelings where I saw myself as a small child in a park and I remember lying back on this kind of couch and I was hypnotized and my eyes were closed and I snuck my eyes open a little bit and it's like I could see these little feet where my knees were I could feel the grass between my toes and so I went through this past life and all these different things happened and there were a couple of verifications there as well because when I was uh, in this past life regression as a small child in this park, it was a very distinct looking park. It was on a steep slope and really town planners, you know, that's the last place you put a park. And then I was a couple of years later, I was in North London and I came across that park and it was, you know, you, you can't uh, sort of describe the feeling of it. And also it was so distinctive the way it looked and the way the pathways were and the trees and things. And the past life I'd seen was about from 1895, 1900. So things had changed a bit, but not that much that you couldn't recognize it. And also during the past life regression, I'd seen the house that I'd lived in there and the houses in that area were exactly what I had seen these big Victorian townhouses with the way the steps went up to the front door and there were these columns either side. So that that was a kind of verification. You know, it wasn't like I found the name and tracked down the actual person. But another thing was that I saw in that past life that I grew up, I was a little girl and I grew up to be a nurse in the First World War in France. And it seemed like it was just a couple of miles behind the front line. And we were working in these huge tents that are kind of like uh, mobile hospitals. And there was all these beds, all these guys that coming from the front, these terrible injuries. And so I saw this nurse's uniform and I Googled that and I had no idea what it would look like. But uh, when I saw it in Google images, it was exactly the same as I'd seen it in the past life regression. Yeah, it's interesting to see those verifications and it really makes you wonder 
because while you're going through a past life regression, you can feel like you're just making it up. But at the same time, you know, it's that question, if, if I was to think, oh, okay, I'll make up a life for myself around the First World War, I, I wouldn't choose to uh, be a nurse, a female life, you know, I'd probably make up something where I was a valiant captain in the British Army or something. So it's weird how that, that life came up and how interesting it was. That's the thing, isn't it? When you're actually looking at the um, cases of it, when you hear people talking, they express that a lot, that, that the feeling of, you know, if I was going to imagine a life, I wouldn't have imagined that one. Like it's so different to what they would expect if your imagination was playing a part in it. So, and I know what you mean about that feeling of revelation. I've been doing like researching and I've found things where I've actually been able to tell someone else's. You get this real almost like a rocky want to punch the air with excitement because it's, it's just such a thrilling thing, isn't it, to have that verification, that feeling? Yeah, and it is a weird feeling as well. And it's it's kind of like I had a dream once, a very vivid dream, a few months after I, my mother-in-law died. And in this dream, she came to see me, and she was with a small child and a dog, and we were in this room that I'd never seen before, but the dream was so vivid, and she looked so much younger and the, the way it felt was really distinctive. And, and I feel like it's that feeling you get when these things happen. There's something spiritual happening. And I've really felt like she had come to visit in this dream just to say, yeah, I'm okay. You know, everything's fine with me. Because she didn't say anything in the dream. But it's just I asked her, are you just here to say everything's okay? And she smiled at me and nodded. And the, the dream really stands out because it was so vivid and almost this feeling that you are actually there rather than, you know, dreams can be so chaotic and nonsensical. Oh, that's and actually beautiful. Yeah. Really beautiful. When I started out, I was a complete skeptic about anything apart from reincarnation. Reincarnation I always believed in. But a lot of the things that you've discussed on your podcast, I really hadn't. But when I started listening to your podcast, I started to realise that actually makes a lot of sense and it started to open my mindset to it. And since I've been doing the podcast, my mind has become more open to a lot of this as I've gone along because as you look at it, you can't deny it when it's happening so much, when so many people are experiencing it. And so you find yourself having to accept things that before 10 years before you would have laughed at yourself or that you'd never accept that, if you know what I mean. And in doing so, things like that actually start to happen to you. So it's quite interesting. It's almost like you... You have to be uh, willing to open yourself up if before anything like that can actually happen in a way. Yeah, yeah. It's this thing, for me, one of the things was talk of angels because that's a religious thing to me. And I imagine, you know, some great like 10 foot tall person with huge white wings in a white robe and that kind of religious imagery. But I was starting to hear from people who've had near-death experiences and, and they say that during it they encountered angels. But they were saying, don't, don't think of that image. These are kind of spiritual beings who have a different role to us. We're spiritual beings, but we call them angels because that's, say, a, just a, a handy word that you can use to describe them. But it might be completely the wrong word, but it seems to fit. And so... For me, that idea of angels started to change, whereas my automatic reaction was to reject it. But over time, the concept of what they are has changed. And 
I had some weird experience with feathers as well, where I was talking to a woman on the podcast who'd written this book about angels and she was talking about how feathers show up when an angel's been around. I was kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, okay. And the next day I'm walking down the street and I'm thinking about that and this white feather just floats out of the sky right in front of me. Exactly the time I'm thinking about feathers showing up. So I think, yeah, this coincidence. And a few weeks later, I'm interviewing this medium called uh, Claire Broad. And she had co-written a book with the previous guest that I'd talked about. And I said, oh, I was talking to her about angels and feathers and this feather fell out the sky in front of me. And this uh, medium was saying, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, you got to pay attention to this. And I was like, yeah, okay. So I finished that call. We'd finished recording the episode. And I went to my see my daughter, my teenage daughter, and I went into her room and there was a feather in the middle of the floor. And she's not a, a messy teenager. The floor was completely clear, but right in the center, you couldn't miss it, was this feather. And I said to her, where did this feather come from? And she looks up from her video game and looks at it and says, oh, I don't know. And then just goes back to her video game. And so that that was a, a little bit of a kick. And you say, hang on a second. But then a few weeks later, I was sitting with a medium, so I'm still doing my research, and we were sitting at her house and we were at opposite uh, armchairs and she did her reading and she was really good medium. And then when she'd finished that hour, we started talking. She said, how did you get my number? And I said, well, Claire Broad gave me your number. She goes, oh yeah, I know Claire. And we started talking about all the podcasts because, you know, when you see a medium, you don't tell them about yourself because there's that old... Uh, you know, oh, they're going to look you up on Facebook and, you know, that kind of thing. Like mediums have got enough time to research every single person that sits with them. But I told her about this thing with feathers. And then she says, oh, look at the floor. And there was a feather on the floor in between us on the carpet. And the whole hour she was doing her, the sitting, the reading, there was no feather there. And this was a clean hoovered carpet. And wow. it was like my brain just came to a stop. It's like, you just can't compute. It's like, where did this come from? And it was also, I had this feeling like the angels are looking at me or my spirit guides and the first two feathers and they are slapping their forehead and like, what do we have to do to get through to this guy? And so the, the third time when it seems like it appeared out of thin air, then, you know, I started paying attention. And since then I haven't really seen any feathers. <laughs> but it's almost like oh, well, they feel, oh, we've got the message across now. We don't have to fuss with that side of things. If you think about what that means, you talked about, you know, oh, it was a coincidence. At first you thought a coincidence. The more I do this, the more I realise that, that the two sides are actually a lot closer than we actually think. And I don't think that coincidence really is coincidence anymore. I mean, there's probably the odd chances where you go, well, that's a fluke. But most of the time I think actually coincidence well synchronicity as they call it really is a thing you know we are actually being led a lot more than we realize yeah some weird stuff shows up some really strong synchronicities there was a woman i talked to called sharon rawlett and she'd written a book on synchronicities and she was not kind of spiritual not looking at it from that angle but she was interested in synchronicities and so she decided to write this book and she was already a phd yeah, she knows how to do research. And I think that over time in researching synchronicities, she started think, seeing that there was something otherworldly happening, some maybe something spiritual. 
And the way it started for her is that she had lived in France for a couple of years and she'd moved back to the States and she was with a friend of hers and they were saying, hey, let's go to this new shopping mall. And they got their phone out and got maps up to try and find this mall. And the map icon said they were in France, in this little village in France. And she's like, that can't be right. The GPS is way off. And so they tried again and again and it just, they had to use Sharon's friend's phone for this. But she found out later that the exact moment she was placed in that village in France, her ex-boyfriend was in that village in France and that he had never been there. He didn't live there. It was just like this one time he was passing through and he'd stopped there. That's such an amazing synchronicity. And also, you know, how could that connect up with the technology, the GPS? Something must have interfered and changed it. So that, that was what gave her this thing of looking into synchronicities and she found some amazing ones and the book's just amazing and there's this idea that maybe oh the you know the the angels were showing her where her boyfriend is because they should get back together and it's a match made in heaven but she found other synchronicities that placed people together and one of them i remember these two people it was amazing how they met up and they eventually got married and a year later they divorced and they weren't right for each other and they were seeing this synchronicity saying, oh, this must be right, you know, but it's just weird how the universe works. Maybe it wanted them together just for that year for some reason. We always want to read big messages into things, but sometimes I think it can be just a little message that's meant to just veer you that little bit in a different direction. Or it makes me wonder what's on the other side and what they're actually sort of trying to achieve, because it seems to be that you are actually being led to meet people and to experience things and you know when you look back over your life and you find patterns repeating of, of things that you you know you kind of you realize you're meant to be on this journey in a way yeah it's like the plan they say you put your plan together before you're born and it's you sit with your soul group and you decide who's going to play what role in your life and who's be your parents who'll be your children and friends and how they'll treat you whether it's good or bad and it's all part of helping your soul learn the lesson it's set out to learn in that life. And I almost see it like it's a play, you know, and you're sitting there with your other actors going through the script. And it's interesting because this sort of comes up in near-death experiences as well. There was uh, one woman I talked to, she had a near-death experience, and she found herself at this table with her spirit guides and they rolled out this blueprint and she's like, well, what's this? And they said, this is your life, how you've laid it out. This is the plan. This is what's going to happen in the future. And she saw all these things that are going to happen in her future. And they said to her, sorry, when you go back to your body, you're not allowed to remember any of this. But they just made her make one change where she removed chronic illness. Because the plan was that after this near-death experience, because she she died in an accident, but after that, she would have some chronic illness for the rest of her life. But they let her just remove that from the plans, and, and now she's fine. And so, you know, it's coming up in near-death experiences, these ideas that we hear about in reincarnation. And eventually I started talking to people who've had near-death experiences about reincarnation, and they were completely like, oh, yeah, of course, reincarnation. Yeah, I found out about all sorts of past lives when I was in that space so it, it all connects up and it, it's amazing how it does 
Well, I certainly think the, the near-death experiences are very much linked to reincarnation because if you think of it, a near-death experience is basically the start of your next cycle, except instead of going forward into that cycle, you bounce back for probably because, as you say, uh, from the descriptions of people who had near-death experiences, a lot of them have said that they've been told you aren't finished yet or you have to come back or you agreed to this having this terrible accident before you came things like that so i think there can be reasons why in my life i actually nearly died as a baby i had golden staff and two other babies in the hospital with me had it as well and they both died and i lived and it kind of makes you wonder well, why did i survive and yet when i go and look through my whole life i can kind of almost sort of see that i did have a lot of learning to do in this life i did have a lot of things I had to sort out. And I really honestly think I was meant to live this life so that I could actually work it all out. And I've got to say, in actually doing the podcast, I've had a lot of people contact me and say, you've made such a difference to my life because I was alone. I was going through this. I didn't understand it. I was frightened by it or I was frustrated or I was shut down. And I think it's helping a lot having people like you and me actually out there letting people know these things do happen. Yeah, yeah. I get emails, whether it's from someone who will say that they've had this terrible fear of death and it keeps them awake every night, thinking that when they die, they're just completely annihilated and there's nothing. And then other people who've lost someone very close who, who've never thought of looking into these things and start investigating and finding all this information. And it's amazing how it can change people's lives. And uh, it's quite humbling in a way. And you think, I'm, I'm just here, I am all by myself with my microphone and I've changed someone's life. That's amazing. That, that was something that completely caught me out of the blue. I never expected to actually make a difference to someone. I was just thinking, I like these stories, I find them interesting and they make me think about it. And I thought, well, maybe other people feel that too. So I started putting them out. But then people started really saying to me, you've really genuinely changed my experience of it and I, I don't know if you know but I actually had cancer last year and I told people on my podcast because I just wasn't able to get episodes out I was just going through too much and I had so many people contact me and say even hearing just about my cancer and that I was facing this that I changed their viewpoint on death and they're not afraid of it anymore and I'm like that is really trippy that is really really big to make that kind of a change because I always believe and I still believe that fear is the thing that stops us from doing a lot of things in life. You know, I think it's that fear of it and it's like there's nothing really to fear when you think about life, really. Yeah, it's all part of a plan. And also yeah. I get the impression that we experience, we might have 70 years on this life and this planet, but for your soul that's just 10 minutes. It's mm. like they're in the afterlife. Is oh, I'm just going to pop down the planet for 70 years and 10 minutes later they're back again. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what it feels like. I mean, you hear people describing that they met people who'd been gone for decades. On the other side, they've met them, and you think, well, then for them, I don't think time passes in any way the same way it does here. And it's... have you ever done past life regression? No, but I'm about to, interestingly, because of the podcast. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I wanted to get Patreon content. You know, I didn't want to put the episodes behind a paywall because I felt it wasn't fair because they're helping a lot of people. And I thought, well, what can I do? And then I thought, well, why don't you get your own past lives done 
and research them. And then that's what I'm going to do on the Patreon program. I'm going to actually research it. And then once I've got enough of it and I've actually proved my case, I'll actually do an episode so people can hear about it. But I don't know if you know Tony Riley. She's a Melbourneian woman now who does regression. Yeah, she's, I think she's been on my podcast three times. Yeah, and she's lovely. One of my episodes is her taking me through a past life regression. I, I put that as an episode. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Oh, I'll have to have a look. Yeah. So that would be interesting. Did you have a good experience with it when you did it with Tony? Yeah, yeah. And because uh, she's so good at it and I've done it before, so I know how it feels and we could just go straight into it. And what we were doing was I was taken through a past life regression a few years ago where I found myself as a woman in Venice in the 16th century. And it was very clear, the visuals I was getting, where I was. And uh, one thing me and Tony talked about is when you go into a past life regression, you can find yourself the other gender. And it doesn't seem at all weird. It just seems completely natural. It's like, this is how things are supposed to be. But And... So I saw this place and this courtyard that I was sure was Venice, and I went into this chapel. And I, even now in my mind, I can see this chapel and this priest that I talked to. And then I went down this alleyway, and then there was this open stretch of water, and I got into this boat, and I was at this house, and I was the daughter of a very rich man, and we had this big house on an island and stuff. So I was saying to Tony, I'd like to do more research because I've got a plan to go to Venice and see if I can find those locations. And she said, well, let's let's do a past life regression. Go back to that life, and let's see if we can get some names and some places and get more information. So we did do that, and that that's in that episode. But I also mm. kind of spontaneously jumped to a couple of other lives as well that were interesting. So, yeah, I like that episode. And I also... Just uh, another weird thing about reincarnation is I put a couple of episodes out I did with this guy and he went to a life on another planet. And so that's out as an episode as well. And I've had that come up now and then. And it just kind of makes you feel like we've got this very human earth viewpoint of this is where all life is and this is where it all happens. And you're reincarnated on this planet. And it's, it's almost, you know, I'm getting weirder and weirder. You go down the rabbit hole and things get weirder and weirder. But I was talking to Richard Martini and he's got a book out called Divine Councils of the Afterlife, which is kind of the Council of Elders, which came up in Michael Newton's research. And he said that one of the people he took to the Council of Elders, there was an alien on the council. And the, the they asked this alien about, you know, humans and being on earth. And the alien was saying, oh, you humans are terrible. You think you're the center of everything. <laughs> and Richard said, have you had a life on earth? And the alien said to him, how dare you? I wouldn't lower myself to have a life on earth. But, you know, this is the rabbit hole you go down, isn't it? You find these things. Well, actually, I'm glad you brought that up because you've also, in your life, you've had an experience with a UFO. Is that correct? You mentioned that to me. And I've often yeah. wondered, I've, I've noticed as we've gone along that there have been cases of people saying that um, they've had reincarnation experiences and that aliens, UFOs slash whatever you call it, has been a part of it. So do you feel that, 
when we were talking earlier about angels and you said that that's a religious term, my thought on it is that we actually don't really have a term for what they are. So we kind of call them whatever we sort of expect to see. So, you know, is it possible that there is some connection with like an alien race slash entity that is involved with life down here? Yeah, it's it's a thing I've read because uh, I have a particular interest in an alien abduction. It's it, with me, the weirder it gets, the more interested I am. And <laughs> a few of them, when they've been talking uh, like to the aliens, they, they might complain, like, how dare you abduct me? You've got no right to do this. And the alien will say, yeah, but you agreed to this before you were born. It's part of the plan. And so it sounds like the aliens are well aware of the afterlife and reincarnation. And they even talk about themselves as just containers and that their physical body, when it's worn out, they just move to the next one. So that spiritual side kind of shows up in there. And there's lots of researchers now seeing all these connections. They're almost using the same terminology as that for things that you see in reincarnation. So I've, I, when you when we talk about reincarnation, there's no denying that on the other side there is some other form of entity that is involved in this because people often describe having a being come to them that then leads them to more knowledge or helps them get ready for the next life or whatever it is that, that, that they do. It's almost like they're a bit of a facilitator for people who are sort of stepping back over. Um, so if that's the case and you're using, finding similar terminology, Maybe they are actually the same being that we talk about that looks angelic, but in some people's minds looks alien because I think our minds tend to let us see what we need to see to not freak out if you get my drift. I think the consciousness has protection mechanisms that allow it to be able to deal with death and stepping over and because it's, it is confronting, even if we have done it so many times before, we don't remember it. So, you know... Maybe yeah, that's how it works. Yeah, it's part of the plan, isn't it? The If your soul's coming to live every life, to learn what it is to be human, if you know about all your past lives, that, I think that can really affect the the learning process. It's it's almost like you would just think to yourself, oh, I've done all this before. Or this, this, there's no real lesson here. The, you know, And I know these people that are treating me badly for me to learn this lesson they're they're not they're just souls in my soul group they're friends of mine and it's just a a play so you've got to forget your past lives occasionally people do remember them and sometimes i wonder if if i'm taking people through past life regression i'm interfering you know and there may be those in the spirit world saying stop it they've got to learn their lesson don't let them know about their past lives because if somebody comes to do a past life regression and they've got a phobia and its origin point is in a past life, and you can help relieve that so they no longer have the phobia in this life. I just wonder if the fact that they've got the phobia, that something's bleeding through from a past life, is a glitch. There's a problem in the system. It's that thing where you might think the afterlife is perfect and there's never a mistake and there's never a glitch, but could that be what's happening? Or maybe that's part of the life plan. They're supposed to do a past life regression at this point. It's it's uh, it gets complicated, doesn't it? And sometimes I feel your spirit guides are pushing you to do a past life regression, and maybe they feel that this thing that's affected you in this life negatively, you've learned that lesson now. You don't need that anymore. Let's give them a past life regression, and we can clear that and move on. Well, I think that's a very good point, actually, 
Jim Matlock, who runs Signs of Reincarnation, there's a forum on Facebook, and I've talked about this a lot. And the memories that people seem to have seem to be related to emotion. It seems to be that they remember the strong emotion of either their death or whatever it is, you know, leaving children behind, or it's like there's unfinished business. So we always used to make the point of, well, you know, really, if you feel that way, you should try and go and have a regression because you might be able to heal from that pain of the past. Um, but I wouldn't go seeking it out as like a party trick. That's what we used to say. But in actually talking to Tony, and this is why I decided I want to do mine, she made the point of, well, if someone's sort of coming to it as in the form of a party trip, perhaps subconsciously they're feeling a need to do it and they just haven't actually kind of recognised that need but feel pushed as in guided towards doing it. And I hadn't thought of that. I hadn't considered that. So I thought that's actually a very good point. Maybe the the fact that you're guided towards wanting the fact that you hear about reincarnation and think, oh, I might go and have a regression. I don't think you are interfering. I think you're doing a good thing. I think actually people need to know for whatever reason and I think it actually can help them to then deal with the emotion because I think when you think about that side and this side, this side seems to be where we feel all the emotion. I don't think they can experience it in the same way on the other side. They can probably remember it, but because we're not corporeal, Let's face it, life is painful. <laughs> it's difficult and it's challenging. And I'm, I don't think it's quite the same on that side. There's probably different challenges, different problems. But, And I agree with you. Why should we assume that the other side is perfect? You know, I don't think it's perfect. I think the same as happens here. There will be mistakes. There will be things that don't work the way they should. So... That's my thoughts on it. Yeah, but it's that thing like you were saying that you might live a life and you go, you die, and you go into the this afterlife space, and your guides there and say you didn't learn the lesson. You got to go back and do it again. Mm. And I've mm. heard weird things there that, like, somebody would be born in 1958 and they would die in 1998, and the spirit guide would send them back, and they'd be born in 1962, and you think, hang on. The other life was 58 then there's two lives at the same time i don't think it's linear like it is here i don't think they feel it the same way we do i think i think it's actually more almost like i think they have a lot more ability to be able to manipulate time and space than we do here in a physical sense the near-death experiences say that there is no time and that they mm. explain what happens to them in the near-death experience in a, a linear thing of this happened and this happened and this happened. But actually, while they were there, it all seemed to happen at the same time. And so yeah. there's that I idea that your, your soul's splitting itself up and each life it puts a small percentage of itself into. And so this is this an analogy of a tree where the tree trunk is your soul and each leaf is a different life. And as all the leaves are alive at the same time, your soul's experiencing all of these lives in the same moment. And that may mm. be why you can go to a past life in a regression and make a change and it impacts the past life. And so maybe that person that you were in Victorian era, they get a, something helpful as well as you in this time, because you've connected the two lives and broken a bond or something. And, uh, you know, this is like reincarnation theory where you go to college, you know, reincarnation 101. <laughs> it, it gets more and more complicated. 
that's one of the theories that really messes with my head is the thought that we can split and actually be in several entities or whatever at once. I think it's perhaps more like Doctor Who, where he can sort of blip in the TARDIS to 1962. And if you think of it in that term, like if you die, you go to 1962, you live that life, and then you die, and then you come back. But because you're actually effectively eternal, if you can actually alter time, there's no reason why you couldn't live then and you couldn't live another life at the same time because you are actually still living out the paths of two lives, if you know what I mean. So it's possible. It's weird, but it's possible. Yeah, yeah. And then there's these ideas of twin flames and soulmates and those connections where I, what I think is with soulmates, it's, it's this idea that we have, it's something romantic perhaps, but I don't think that's what soulmates are at all. I think it's just maybe your soul that you're very close to in the afterlife and you work together. So it doesn't mean to say it's going to be romantic. It's just a, a very close connection of working. It's interesting you should say that. I actually met one of my closest, closest friends when she came to work at the same place I did. We were interviewing girls. I was a typist. I was a medical transcriptionist. We were interviewing girls for the position, and there were four girls that came through, and the three of them just sort of came in, sat down, did their test, and left. And Claudia, my friend, came in, and she looked a little nervous, so I sort of watched her as she walked over to her desk And she sort of turned around a bit nervously and I just gave her a smile as if to say, it's okay, you'll be all right. That smile, honest to God, we became the firmest friends and we've been friends now for over a decade and we both of us feel that we have known each other before, have lived before. And I think that's exactly what you mean in a sense. I'm not sure that soulmate is the exact term, but I think it's certainly like a cadre of people that we just really really click with and i agree with you it doesn't have to be a romantic thing to have a a soulmate yeah when i'm taking people through past life regressions sometimes we'll be in a scene in a past life it could be with a family and i'll say if you pay attention to these people and their energy do you recognize them and people will say ah yeah the person who was my son in that life is now my brother in this life and you Mm -hmm. see these connections and sometimes This doesn't happen very often. It's like I had a woman who said, the mother that I have in that life is the mother I have in this life. And we have the same awful relationship. It's like the pattern is repeating across lives. And so you might see something there and think, hang on, this this doesn't sound useful. Maybe there's a problem here. Or maybe they didn't learn the lesson the last time around, and so they're repeating it. See, maybe that was a bit of synchronicity. She'd been led to recognise that so that she could recognise the pattern and break it. Yeah, that may be it. Maybe that's why she saw it. Because when, when I'm with people taking them through a past life, I, I always pay attention to what's happening. And sometimes they might be in a scene that seems so mundane and dull and there's not really much going on. But I'm still thinking the spirit guides are showing this for a reason. Why are we here? What What is it that we're supposed to learn from this scene? So I, I do try and look for emotions and connections rather than trying to get names and dates where you can research and find the person afterwards. I think the, the idea of connecting with the emotion is very important. I The more I look into it, the more I'm convinced that living on this side is about emotion and the memories are usually about emotion. It's about remembering the emotion of losing something, feeling something's incomplete. You know, it's always about emotion. It's not usually about 
remembering that I lived in 57 Chesterfield Road <laughs> and that they're even remembering my name. But like most people don't remember their names in past life regressions. So that tells you that it's not something that's madly important. What's important is what they're actually focusing on, which is often that fear or that trauma or that sense of loss of, you know, losing children or not knowing what happened or, you know, it's all emotion-based usually. It's quite interesting. Yeah, and I feel that's where you can look for healing as well. Because mm. some people might come to me for some reason, they're looking for healing and they feel anxiety about something or stress where it's a phobia. And we get to a point in the past life, which is, could be so unpredictable and unexpected, but at the same time, it makes perfect sense. And I'll, I'll ask them, the way you feel in that past life right now, does that remind you of your current life and how you feel in this life? And they say, yeah, it's exactly the same. Oh, so, isn't that interesting? Yeah, and then we go through a process of breaking the bond to the past life and releasing negative energy. And there's also a point where we may encounter the spirit guide and we ask the spirit guide for healing as well. And people always say the same thing when that happens. It's, they say, oh, the spirit guides step forward now and they're running their hands over my body. They're not touching my body. It's like three or four inches away. And it sounds like Reiki healing in a way of moving the energies with the hands and not actually touching the body. So that's that's interesting that, you know, it's consistent. All these people, they don't know each other. It's not like they're emailing each other and saying, hey, when it gets to this point, tell Simon this is what's happening. Yeah. It's the, it's the consistency in it. It's the fact that everybody is seeing pretty much the same thing in a way. The only thing that changes what you see from someone else may be slightly cultural, but then again, that is your mind adjusting it to what you're used to kind of thing. But everybody's actually going through the same experience, and that's what convinces me that reincarnation is true. Yeah, and it's like Michael Newton's work where he took like 7,000 clients into what they call the space between lives, and he asked them what was happening there, and they all described this same thing happening in between lives with the soul group and spirit guides. And the, I think they had different names for certain places. They might say the healing temple, or this is a, like a hospital in the afterlife, or the, the council of elders or the divine council. But it all seemed like the same space that they were reporting. And 7,000 people consistently saying the same thing. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite freaky when you think of it. And really, it doesn't matter what culture you're from, what part of the world. People describe similar things just in different terminology, but it's all the same. So, yeah, and people who have near-death experiences describe the same sort of space as well. Mm. So it's it's there's definitely something happening, isn't there? This is why yeah. I'm so fascinated, and I like the things with near-death experiences where people will be their consciousness will leave their body and mm. they'll see something and then later it's verified and it's like you couldn't possibly have seen that you were dead at the time that's proof really that consciousness continued and was outside the body and saw these things exactly that's the thing i think in the western world we're too focused on logic in some respects i think that logic is great and we need to have a scientific background for things but i think that there's a, a melding of scientific but we need to then actually be able to adjust what we think of as being reality and i think slowly quantum physics is actually starting to shift towards a more spiritual basis because they're starting to believe that our consciousness can affect the world around us and 
that at the bottom of everything there is something else. There is some bigger something else that is organising everything. And that is what is coming out in quantum physics. So the scientists are starting to recognise that, you know. There's a saying, it doesn't sound very nice, but science moves forward one funeral at a time. And it's kind of like the old guard have to leave. You know, the old guard will be saying, no, 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 it's all nonsense. I don't want to hear about it. But younger people have a an interest and more open-minded. And so that that's how that can work. I actually have a, a listener who has contacted me and we've talked a little bit and she's actually, a, well, she's in the medical field and she said that, that I've been saying in my podcast a bit that we need to change the, the mindset of uh, medical folk because particularly medicine of all the sciences, if we can get medical people to kind of embrace it, we can start looking at the things that happen around the time of death. We can start looking at near-death experiences and we can start documenting them and researching them. And And it's also important to have people like Jim Tucker and Ian Stevenson for the next generation so that we actually do have a following on of research and learning. And she said to me that it is changing. She said there's a lot of physicians now who actually do see and do embrace that past life memory maybe what's going on or you know they're, they're starting to open their minds to things like that so i think we're slowly getting there i talked to um a woman called barbara bartholomew and she had um something went wrong during a medical procedure and she died and she watched the resuscitation from the ceiling and when she came back into her body and she woke up and she there were two surgeons and she was saying, oh, yeah, I watched it all and you did this and you did that. And that person came in and they used that machine over there. And the neurosurgeon, she said he clenched his fists next to the bed and he said, I'm not standing for this anymore. I'm going to leave. I'm not going to listen to this nonsense. And he stormed out the room. But the other surgeon pulled up a chair and said, oh, well, tell me what happened. What, what did you see? How did it feel? So it was really showed the, the two sides of that. That's great. It means that there are actually people who are willing to to listen because if someone is describing things like that and and near-death experiences happen all the time, there are literally thousands and growing every day of experiences. So something must be there. It must be actually happening. And, of course, for me, I believe it's the start of what happens in your next cycle. That's You're seeing the jumping-off point. But, you know, of course, because we now have modern medicine, you can pull people back. So... We're getting an insight that we didn't have earlier because people would just die. Yeah, so. yeah. There were a few near-death experiences that have happened over time. Even Carl Jung had one, and one of his clients had one that he wrote about. And uh, there's a book by Dr. Gregory Shushan, and it was published by Oxford University Press, and it's called Near-Death Experiences in Indigenous Religions. And he's found all these tales, these kind of religious tales all around the world, all these places, all these different little religions, you could say. But when you hear this story of something that happened to somebody maybe 2,000 years ago and is a, a big part of the religion, but you hear the story and you think, oh, that's, that's a near-death experience, what they're describing. Mm. Mm. So it's that idea of maybe the idea of heaven and how the idea of hell was because people had near-death experiences thousands of years ago and talked about what they experienced. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? So with near-death experiences, you've probably explored them like I have. 
And there are some that are positive and there are some that are negative. But I've got a bit of a theory on the ones that are negative. What are your, what's your viewpoint on the negative ones? You know, people go and they'll experience really horrible things. Yeah, yeah it's, it seems like when you have a near-death experience, you're given exactly what you need. It's like a spiritual kick up the ass and different <laughs> people need a different kick. And so there's something to do with the way your mindset is and your viewpoint of the world and the spirit guides or whoever give you your near-death experience. They construct it for you. It's what you might call the theater of the near-death experience. And it's almost some of it seems to be not in the afterlife, but in another space mm. where uh, I had, there was a guy I talked to David Wallace who's in Hawaii and he's had four near death experiences. And one of them, he found himself in this room that was very small and made of concrete. And there was a guy sitting opposite him, this huge kind of Hawaiian looking guy in traditional clothing. And this guy, David was so, you know, what's going on? Where am I? And the, the, the other guy said, I'm your, one of your ancestors. I'm your protector. And then in the, the doors of this concrete room in the window, he could see people outside and these people were offering him food and drink and say, Hey, come out with us, come out with us. But the protector wouldn't let him go out and talk to them. And he said, no, really focus your energy and your mind. And he saw that these people outside were not people at all. He said, they look more like demons. And so this was a negative near-death experience, but it seemed like that was just what he needed at that point in his life to move him forward. And then he had another near-death experience where he says he met death, the, the angel of death. And he was a really handsome guy in a well-cut suit. And he seemed really, he, um, he said, you know, on any other day, I'd like to have a beer with that guy. But it, it was like he was the angel of death who'd come to collect him. But he managed to fight off what was going on there. So that was another negative near-death experience. And it's funny how they come up. And I did interview somebody who'd written a book all about near negative near-death experiences. And they said they didn't find one of them where the person didn't get out of that dark space and move into the light. And it was a couple of people I've talked to. One of them said they started singing. And they were in this really horrible hell, hellish landscape. And the demons were being particularly nasty. And she said, why are you being so hard at this time? And the demon said, oh, it's Christmas on earth. We're always nasty when it's Christmas. And she started singing a, a, Christmas, like a Christmas. Yeah. And the demon started getting angry and telling her to shut up. But it was backing off. It was like kryptonite to the demon. And so she kept singing and singing. And eventually she was lifted out of that hell and into a space of light. And when I, I talked to this guy, Howard Storm, he was in a really horrible place and he was an atheist. He was so unhappy in this place and he knew that he had died and he started calling for Jesus, but he was an atheist. And he said, I, I have to say a hymn, I have to say a prayer. And he couldn't think of any prayers because he didn't know any. And he started reciting Shakespeare and he started reciting a, a TV advert that he'd seen trying to find something. And then he said he found the Lord's Prayer and he started saying that over and over. And this point of light appeared above him and it came down and lifted him out of it. So it's, it's, that's the thing I always remember. If I have a near-death experience and it's negative, start singing Christmas carols or praying. I'm glad you said that because 
I've looked at the cases too, and the one thing I noticed about them was that they might start out really negative and people go, oh, well, you know, that's proof that, you know, there is a heaven and hell and that it's going to be awful and you can have them. And I don't think it's that. I think it's actually that either when we get to the other side, we believe that we deserve to be punished or that, that we do, as you say, need a spiritual kick up the ass. And so therefore we go through this period, but then if you stay in the near-death experience long enough, it will actually become a positive one and and you are actually then allowed back up into a sense of feeling safe and secure and loved and they did then describe that feeling of protection and overwhelming love that most near-death experiences describe so it's interesting isn't it people often sort of bring up the negative ones as being a sign of oh well you know this is proof that life over there isn't always nice i think it's actually more that it's us either needing or recognizing that we don't feel that we were perhaps as good or did the right things or a sense of guilt with it or something that we then needed to go through that experience to kind of reconcile it yeah yeah it's it's that thing that they give you exactly what you need at that moment it doesn't mean that hell actually exists this is part of your life's journey that they're helping you out in some way yeah, that's what I think it is too. I think it's I think it's maybe we need to adjust our thinking on things and so therefore we go through something like that because it's a, a real as you say, a kick. It's like a hard reset in a sense. Yeah. 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 I'm glad I actually spoke to you about that. Yeah. So you've actually had some of the biggest and the best on the podcast. Actually, you've had Eben Alexander and Jim Tucker and quite a few sort of major names on with regard to to reincarnation do you kind of ascribe now more to the sort of the spiritual view like michael newton or how do you feel about what you've learned about reincarnation yeah i think that um we're all on a spiritual path we're all learning lessons and every time our soul decides to have a life on earth is to learn something specific because the soul wants to learn everything there is to learn about being human. And that we can have hundreds or thousands of lives. And it's a, a progress. And I don't know where it leads to. Because they, they talk about, so you might complete all the lives you need on Earth, but then you might have to go start having lives on another planet. Or you might graduate, and so you don't need to be in the physical anymore in the, this three-dimensional space but your soul still progresses and learns in other ways in other places but it seems to me that the space the way your soul is is a lot more complicated and a lot more um it's like there aren't words to describe it that's what near-death experiences say that, that they couldn't really describe what happens there it's like this feeling of love is like love is the wrong word because what they feel is so powerful and so i think that yeah there's definitely a spiritual path and we're all on that path and that we have guides to help us and there may be a guide that's with us our whole lives and then other guides come and go as needed so it's that thing of not having a fear of death you know i mean you'd rather not die I think it was, um, I can't remember, was it Woody Allen or Peter Sellers said something like, I'm not afraid of dying, I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I've gone from many years ago 
being, you know, having a fear of death, like everybody would, to not having a fear of death. And if if I ever sat with a doctor and he said, I'm afraid you've got this terrible illness, it'd be more of a feeling, oh, how inconvenient, you know. All right, well, I'll just have to move on. <laughs> it's funny you should say that. That's exactly how I feel. As I mentioned, I have cancer uh, year, last year. And I went and did a surveillance check x-ray this year and they found another lesion on my liver. So, um, And they're saying it's not a great prognosis. So I've gone from being your cured to, oh, it's not a great prognosis in the space of about a month. And while I felt angry at, I'm in one of the best places I've ever been in my life and I feel angry about that, but I can't say that I actually feel any fear of dying. I don't even really feel any fear of the pain that might be coming. It's just more like that doesn't matter because I know that at the end everything's going to be okay. You know what I mean? Like whatever happens, if I step over, well, then that's what's meant to happen. And if I don't, well, that's what, what's meant to happen as well. So it's changed my whole mindset on everything and all it's made me want to do is just really do everything I can now for as long as I can whether that's two months or 200 years you know I mean how do you know <laughs> yeah so yeah. it's funny how it does it you're right that's exactly how you will feel when you're told because you believe it you really understand it that's what I, I think it is anyway so it is for me it's quite strange I feel quite um happy i'm not actually unhappy at all obviously i don't want to go through the experience and i'd rather be here because i only got married four months ago but um you know if, if that's how it pans out well it's what it's meant to be you know i have a very good friend who's interested in reincarnation and he said you're in exactly the right place that you are meant to be and i thought that is a very wise thing to say because it's very true you know we are going through what we're meant to and as you say how do I know I didn't sign on for this before I came? You yeah, know? that's something I've heard about in, uh, when people make a life plan, that mm. uh, they have certain exit points throughout the life and maybe they can choose to use that exit point because their lesson's been learned and other times they don't choose that exit point. They think, well, I'll wait for the next one or something. I'm hoping that's the case because it's weird that I feel quite so positive. I feel really positive about this i'm not worried at all really about it um and i kind of get the feeling like i kind of am not really worried about what the future is going to be because i feel like it's going to be okay that's a weird feeling i don't know why i feel that way i shouldn't in theory i'm kind of really up again like a, the prognosis isn't great but like you i feel that there could be a, a choice for me whether i go or i don't because um i've suddenly sort of got into with Tony, we're going to do uh, the regression, but she's also going to do some healing work as well. And I've been focusing on healing with uh, meditation and things like that. It's amazing how much better that makes your body feel. And I really honestly feel, as the quantum physicists do, that we can actually alter our own surroundings. And if we opt not to take an exit point, we can opt to not take an exit point. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Do you feel that Perhaps you can't talk about this sort of thing with the medical staff because they may be very materialistic and, you know, very atheist and some of them can be quite aggressive with that. They, they can be. I actually am a pretty upfront kind of person. I'm just like, well, this is who I am, you know. So I actually said to the liver surgeon, I had a meeting with him last week. He said, oh, what do you do? And I said, oh, well, I run a podcast. 
everyone's always like, oh, good, oh, your podcast, you know, and it, well, what's it on? And I said, oh, you wouldn't like it. It's on reincarnation. And he got quite huffy and he was like, I'm not against it. And it was like he was kind of, <laughs> my father-in-law believes in it. I'm like, well, maybe I maybe I changed his mindset a bit. Maybe he'll go, oh, well, you know, I'll have a look at it. But you're right, most of the time I would not say to particularly doctors, um, you know, I believe in reincarnation because I think they'll just go, oh, yeah, right, oh, whatever. I believe in, you know, fairies. Yeah. The thing that I found the most surprising about it was when I was waiting for surgery the first time last year, um, people would say, what do you do? I'd say I'd do a podcast. And the nurses particularly, if you said it's on reincarnation, bang, everyone was like, oh, yeah, into it, you know, what, what I want to listen to it. Others were saying, I had this happen to my child. I, I remember had memories. You know, it's amazing when you talk to people how many people pop up all of a sudden and will admit to having memories the minute they know that you're going to be receptive to it. They won't talk about it with anyone before, but if you say, I do a podcast on reincarnation, I really believe in it, then they will start saying to you, this happened, my child said this, or, you know. I even had the pastoral care lady who was sort of technically religious sort of, sort of say to me, my child said to me when I was the mother and you were the daughter, you know, you used to do this. or, And I said, yeah, it's it's, it's uncanny how many people have memories or have experiences of it but don't talk about it yeah people don't want to seem to be weird or or uh oh no he's one of those kooks or they're a bit too woo or those sort of things yeah, uh, I, yeah. my daughter said something to me once as well and uh it was just that one time she said you know i used to pick you up when you were this small oh really she was three or four years old so i think yeah you're you're right. This sort of thing's going on all around us all the time, and people don't tend to talk about it. Maybe the world would be a better place if they did. Well, I think when you think about it, maybe that's why we're now being led to actually exploring this now, because I think it we're reaching the point where maybe we are, I wouldn't say advanced enough when you look at the way the world's going. It's not really proving it's very advanced at the moment. But um, I think maybe we're actually intellectually reaching a point where we can accept and therefore open ourselves up to it because as I said since I've done this I've had some paranormal things that happened to me that that kind of rather surprised me and uh yeah I think it's because I'm now at a point where I'm actually open to it it's almost like you've got to be open to it to see it and to experience it so they say that's the thing with UFOs you'll only see them if they want you to see them and also there are times where you might have five people and two of them will see the UFO and the other three won't. That's really maybe, interesting, isn't it? Yeah, maybe. I wondered if it's like, you know, people have uh, mediums. They can be very open straight away with spirit. Maybe there's something about being open with UFOs and some people just see them and others don't. Or maybe the UFOs like, well, we're here for you two, not those three, so we're not going to let those three see us. Well, see, that's what makes me wonder about the connection between UFOs and spirit, I suppose you could say, the angels, spirit, whatever you call it. I often wonder if they're not actually somehow connected because when I've looked at the case, I haven't really done a lot of UFO research, but I've always believed it was possible for UFOs or aliens to exist and be with us. I mean, obviously in a universe this big, they've got to be other life forms than humans. They can't just be humans because there's... Nobody put all that out there for us. <laughs> you know, it's it's definitely something that it's a bigger order. And if that's the case, then 
technically we probably could reincarnate on other planets if we were of a species that could sort of in, interact with each other. Well, it's 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 a thing I think where the there's a question with reincarnation that I've been asked. People say, okay, so you know, like a million years ago, there may be only 500,000 people on Earth. Now there are billions. Where's all the souls coming from? But you could look into the universe and say there's so many billions of stars and billions of planets. There's plenty of souls to go around. So they're having lives all over the place. Well, that's it. We are souls and we are, I suppose, if you think of it, eternal because we don't really die. We just keep going through a cycle. But how do we know that new souls aren't being generated, particularly when you look around and you see the things that people do? I mean, there's, you know, if you can hurt people or, you know, be deliberately malicious, you know, you find yourself wondering, well, is that a sign of inexperience in a younger soul? What is it? You know, why why do people do that? You know, it's almost like some souls are still going through the path, if you know what I mean. And they might be sort of there or they might be ahead of you or, you know, who's to say we're all at the same level? I don't think we are. So that to me may indicate that maybe there are new souls being produced all the time or maybe how do we know? We don't know how it works. It could be that people are racist or homophobic because they haven't lived a life where they've been that other race and suffered prejudice or they haven't been gay and felt what it's like to have homophobic people treat them that way they don't have the empathy and the sympathy with the people so they don't have that experience they don't know what it feels like thank you that's exactly what i was trying to get at it's not actually an intelligence thing it's more of an empathetic thing that some people are a lot more empathetic to other people and therefore as i've said given it's about emotion maybe therefore they're not quite as ready yet to kind of be further along if you know what I mean because if you can hate someone because of their gender or their their color or whatever then how can you believe in reincarnation because reincarnation you can come back as anybody really so you know what's the point of hating someone when you might actually be that someone or might have been that someone so you know yeah yeah and you you can get tremendous insights as well when you're going to past life regression because I had a couple of things when I was that nurse in the First World War, and there were these beds in this big canvas tent, and there were these men with these terrible wounds, and it seemed like it was 2 o'clock in the morning, and there were all these uh, oil lamps up around the place, and I was running backwards and forwards between the beds trying to help people, and as you were going around these beds, the skirts were getting caught on the side of the beds and you had to keep pulling them and fussing with them. And I had this feeling of, Oh my God, why do I have to wear these skirts all the time? And it, it was, it was obviously it's nothing I've ever felt or thought before, but in that moment in the past life regression, it felt like it was something that I had complained about for months, if not years. And there was another point where in that life, I saw myself on the London street maybe when I was late thirties with a man and I got the impression he was the husband and he had this terrible attitude of a kind of, um, Oh, you're just a silly little woman. I'm in charge. You don't know what you're doing. I I have to control everything. And my feeling of you, you don't know who I am and what I'm capable of. You, if you had seen what I'd done in the first world war, how I had reacted to all these terrible injuries and how strong I was, 
you wouldn't be treating me like I'm just some silly little woman. So, you know, that that's an insight that I would never have got of that feeling of, it's hard to say, is I suppose being a woman and being talked down to by a man. I would never mm. have got that insight without that past life regression. I think as a woman uh, in this life, I think that's one of the things that you do find frustrating is the fact of no matter how much you try, you're still against the paradigm because women don't get paid as well. Women aren't as respected. It's harder to get, you know, careers happening and things like that. And it's interesting that you understand that because you've been through a past life memory from hundreds of years ago, but you get it, you know. Maybe that's how they teach us things like that. That, And then maybe that's how they break the mindset. So, yeah, because I do yeah. think we are led to things. Yeah, who knows? My spirit guides might have had that specific idea of why they wanted to show me that point in that past life mm. to get that message across. I think empathy is the best and biggest thing we can learn. I really do. I think that's why I lived this life because my life was tough over various ways and I had to learn a lot of empathy for people. It makes me wonder if I didn't have it before. And this life has been all about learning about love, what it's like to have it, not to have it, to understand what other people are going through, forgiveness, you know, and just that empathy of we're all just trying to get through the day, you know. So Yeah. Yeah, that's what you learn from these. Uh, you, you investigate the spiritual stuff over time. You learn so much about how we're all basically the same. We're all a soul and we're all living these lives and, that um uh, you know we should be helping each other and never prejudiced and never judgmental and that that's that's uh, something i see in near-death experiences how it changes them like from before to afterwards it can be such a huge change and they become such helpful people so kind of gentle and they'll put themselves out for you and um that it's like if I invite somebody to be on the podcast, they just say yes straight off. When do you want to do it? And they might get nothing from it. There's there's nothing for them to gain, but they they want to talk about this and spread this information and just be helpful and kind. Exactly. It's funny, isn't it? I think that's the thing, and that's what you've actually now through just your experiences basically turned your life towards because you do regression sessions for people. So, so you still do the regressions now. That is that what you sort of your main, I suppose you could say, career is apart from the podcast. Yeah, yeah. So I produced the Past Lives podcast, which I, I'm a bit sorry I called it that now because it sounds it's just reincarnation, but it's so much other stuff I cover. And I produced the Alien UFO podcast, and I do this hypnotherapy, taking people through past life regression, and that's all I do. I don't do what I used to do, which was helping people stop smoking or uh, phobias and things in this life. The past life regression can be so powerful. Mm. And uh, I did get proper training. I got a diploma in clinical hypnotherapy and a certification in past life regression therapy. And so I've done hundreds of sessions now and I do them over Zoom and they just work perfectly well. It's all about an energetic connection between people and you just need to hear the voice of the hypnotist to guide you through the hypnotic induction and then into the past life. And, you know, you, you learn all these techniques and ways to move around past lives and find healing points and insightful things. 
I think that's beautiful. Yeah. And I'm so glad you've gone into that, Simon. If people want to get a regression with you, how's the best way for them to contact you? Oh, my website is pastliveshypnosis.co.uk. And on there, there's a booking page and you can book a 20 minute call with me and it's free of charge. So if you're interested in doing a past life regression, just book the call and we can have a chat and we could work out if it's right for you and if I'm the right hypnotherapist for you. And uh, yeah, that's that's free of charge. And I do the Past Lives podcast and that's Spotify and Amazon and Apple and everywhere. And the Alien UFO one is everywhere. And there's some crossover between them sometimes. And uh, I just love doing it. So, you know, I never get bored of it. Oh, thank you so, so much. It's been amazing having you on the show. And I've really, really appreciated you reaching out to me and I'd love to catch up with you again in the future. So, yeah, so we'll keep in touch and uh, let me know what you're up to with various things and we can come back on again. Yeah, it's been great. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for asking me. No worries. Thanks, Simon. Simon mentioned in our episode that he's a bass player, but I forgot to find out where he plays. So I'll find out from him and post the information on any gigs or online music that he might have on my Facebook page for my English listeners and Anglophiles. We discuss my cancer journey in this episode and I thought I should perhaps give you an update as I mentioned the specialist saying I have a poor prognosis. That was definitely the tone of my visits right up to the day of surgery But after the surgery, they were of the opinion that once again, I've had a remarkable recovery and I'm pretty much back to the place I was at the end of the surgery last year. Currently, there are no sign of any other metastases in the liver. There is no sign of tumour recurrence in my bowel and there are no sign of any other metastases in my abdomen. So technically, I am considered to be cured again, although there is, of course, the possibility that there may be tumours in the future. Several of my specialists have now agreed that I seem to have slow tumour growth, which is great, which also makes me feel a lot more positive about the future. I haven't had chemo because, once again, the specialists feel that the risks far outweigh any potential benefit because I don't have any signs of disease in my lymph nodes. So things are looking a lot more positive than they did at the time that I did this interview. And I just wanted to also say thank you so much again for your continued support and healing and prayers for my successful recovery. I really do feel it made a huge difference in my last surgery and once again in this surgery I've had a phenomenal outcome and I ascribe a good portion of that to you. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for your kindness. We also talk about the number of souls given the massive population explosion of people on Earth when compared to the historical timeline. This is a common question that often comes up on the forums and it seems to be a reason why people doubt reincarnation. And I find that surprising. There could be a lot of explanations for why we have an increase in population and therefore presumably an uptake in reincarnation levels. And Simon and I discussed the most potentially obvious of those. Another option that we didn't consider is that there may be a lot more consciousnesses on the other side that normally wouldn't reincarnate, but for some reason now are. As Simon mentioned, there are a lot of accounts of people seeing some sort of governing body during the intermission period or the time between lives that seem to indicate that there can be occupations or jobs or other roles on the other side. 
If that is the case, how do we know that all human souls reincarnate? How do we know how many souls there are to begin with? Is reincarnation something akin to a career path that not all souls opt to undertake all the time? Is the state of flux that the world seems to be in now creating a stronger need for more consciousnesses to reincarnate, to achieve some unknown goal or outcome in time, rather than pursuing other options on the other side? It is now becoming clear by the environmental stressors the planet is going through that life on Earth is becoming more fragile. Are we reaching a point where we won't be able to reincarnate soon? So there's a rush to squeeze in a trip to the human side before the planet goes pop, so to speak, at least for the human species? Will mankind wipe itself out so another life form becomes dominant? If that happens, what happens to the human consciousness? Are we then considered redundant, our time in the great cycle over and like the dinosaurs we just disappear into a historical footnote? All of these are compelling questions and it also raises yet again the need for more study into this fascinating subject. There is no real way to answer any of these questions but the need to find out some solutions to the planetary problems we're facing is becoming critical. Otherwise, we might discover that our souls are not so eternal after all. Without an Earth to reincarnate onto, we'd better hope that Simon's UFO cases do indeed prove the existence of aliens so that there can be other planets and other lives for us to go to. For me, I'm an old stickler. And I'd like to see us as a species up our game so that we can save all of the beautiful treasures on this amazing planet. Thank you for listening to Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited. We hope you enjoyed this case. If you have any interesting stories about reincarnation or if you can relate your own past life experiences, I'd love to hear about them and I can be contacted through my email at reincarnationplr at gmail.com or via my Facebook page called Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited. If you'd like to support me, I'd be honoured if you'd become a Patreon supporter. You can find me on Patreon under Reincarnation PLR. I do do extra content now, and your support helps me to keep pumping out content faster and lets me keep on doing what I hope you love hearing. We'll be back again soon with another episode, but until then, remember you are unique and your life has a purpose.